Well, I welcome you to worship here at Macedonia United Methodist Church. My name is Kevin Johnson. I'm pastor here. It is a joy to be able to worship together today. We continue in a sermon series that is entitled Cha-Ching, God, Money, and Me. Uh, this week we are in week four of that. It is entitled Abundance. When do I have enough? And uh, we will consider that passage both from Deuteronomy and this one from Proverbs 30, verses 7 to 9 today. Proverbs 30, 7 to 9 says this, Two things I ask of you, don't keep them from me before I die. Fraud and lies keep far from me. Don't give me either poverty or wealth. Give me just the food I need. Or I'll be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or I'll be poor and steal and dishonor my God's name. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This week, I was wondering how I would begin and open this sermon. I wanted a good story to go along, and I, I didn't want to just Google search for one. I wanted something from my own life. And my youngest daughter gave that story to me this week. After finishing her dinner and being very close to the Clean Plate Club, she asked for a treat. And when I asked her what she wanted, if she wanted that ice cream sandwich that we had talked about on the way home from school, she said no, which is not surprising, that she wanted a piece of chocolate. So I got down the chocolate bin on its last leg of chocolate eggs from Easter, ready to be replenished at the end of this month, this coming month. My candy jar in my office is out too, so I'm ready to pilfer from my children. And anyway, um, and so she selected a piece of chocolate. This was gone rather quickly. In the meantime, her older sister finished her dinner and asked for a popsicle. She got one. Then my, my youngest began the three-year-old meltdown. She began by asking slash yelling for another treat, specifically a popsicle. When that was greeted by a negative response, she proceeded to explain to me that she does not like chocolate but likes popsicles. <laughs> this is simply a lie. I had seen her just devour the piece of chocolate, but she was working every angle possible. This also was granted a negative response. And in an attempt to calm her down, I squatted at her level and told her, we only get one treat. That's how it works in our house. She proceeded to put my other finger up and say, no, we get two treats. And she looked at me as only that child can. And then she made it a game, put the third finger up. And as every parent knows, we have a job to protect our children from their own sugary impulses. For my daughter, one treat is never enough. In his 1997 hit song, Mo Money, Mo Problems, Notorious B.I.G.'s huge hit, the chorus sings over and over, I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. Right, it keeps going. It's great, y'all. Yeah, that's a good song. But anyway, 
There's truth to that. We know and have seen the problems of money. We know the notorious B.I.G. is right. That the mo money we come across, the mo problems we see. So the question I have for us today is when do we have enough? Proverbs 30, 7 to 9 is a passage that I had not studied much before this week. I'd, I'd read it when reading through Proverbs, but hadn't paid it a lot of heed. Like all Proverbs, I said, well, that's probably got some good wisdom to it. Good job. And, and then moved on. But listen to the second half of this passage we read from today. Don't give me either poverty or wealth. Give me just the food I need. In other translations, give me just my daily bread. Or I'll be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or I'll be poor and steal and dishonor my God's name. Here in this proverb, we are dealing with the question of enough. The writer begins this part in prayer, which is the only prayer in the entire book of Proverbs in this section. It begins with that line, don't give me either poverty or wealth. Give me just the food I need. Give me just my daily bread. This seems to be the actual scriptural background for Jesus praying, give us this day our daily bread. It is not a prayer to be in poverty or a prayer for wealth. It is a prayer for enough. The author goes on to explain why he asks only for enough. He says, or I'll be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Well, that'll preach. We could call that the American dilemma of the stocked pantry. When the kids go to it and say, there's nothing to eat here. And there is literally a massive abundance to choose from. Most of us sitting here don't need God's help to supply our daily needs. Or at least we don't think that we do. But the author doesn't stop there. He also gives the rationale for why he needs enough. He says, or I'll be poor and steal and dishonor my God's name. If we don't have, we might go to whatever means necessary to take care of our basic needs. So the writer of Proverbs simply prays for enough. In his book, Seculosity, the author David Zoll writes, no matter how close we get or how much we achieve, we never quite arrive at enough. And then he quotes this quote to, to Rockefeller. How much money is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? Just a little bit more. The main argument of this book, Seculosity, is that we have a problem in America with enoughness. We never feel that we have enough. So we make religions out of things that are not meant to be worshipped, and they never satisfy. They leave us wanting more. John D. Rockefeller's quote within that excerpt is striking. A man whose net worth would be more than Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, or Warren Buffett, when asked how much money is enough, replied just a little bit more. What that quote describes is the unending desire that we get for money, or for drugs, or for pornography, or for shopping, and the list goes on and on and on. William Cavanaugh, author of Being Consumed, wrote these words. He says, the economy as it is currently structured would grind to a halt if we ever looked at our stuff and simply declared, it is enough. I am happy with what I have. Isn't that interesting? If we just stopped and said, I have enough, the economy would stop up. Jobs would be lost. Retirement savings would shrink. The market would crumble. 
Our consumer worldview wants to make sure that we never feel like we have enough. We're always marketed the next thing. Just this week, Amazon told us about all the gadgets that Alexa will be put in in the coming year that you will be able to buy on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And this, this came two weeks after Apple told us about their phones and watches and all of the things we won't be able to live without. To say I'm happy with what I have almost sounds like giving up in American ears. Hopefully, as people trying to be formed by Jesus, it also sounds extremely appealing to us. You see, our economy is founded on the notion of scarcity. Simply put, scarcity means there is not enough. If you have ever gone to a large Easter egg hunt in a park or something like it, you see the principle of scarcity in action. What was meant to be a fun event turns into a 45-second version of Lord of the Flies. The biggest kids get all they can, some little ones get tripped up and left behind, and have very little or none of the remaining candy. It feels like there wasn't enough for the little ones, and for the big kids, that's their candy. They rightfully put it into their basket. This is why we develop quotas for Easter egg hunts. So the principle of scarcity doesn't win. Kids who otherwise don't know economic theory are demonstrating scarcity right before our very eyes. Bill Cavanaugh describes scarcity in this way. Scarcity is the more general hunger of those who want more, without reference to what they already have. Economics will always be the science of scarcity as long as individuals continue to want. And we are told that human desires are endless. We desire because we live. So economics exists to study this idea of scarcity. Supply and demand, the very concept that undergirds modern economic theory, right, is, it reflects scarcity. The more that something is in demand, the higher the price becomes for that item because it has less supply. Scarcity is acted out every time that there is the threat of winter weather here in the triangle, here threat. As soon as the forecast calls for ice, snow, a wintry mix, the idea that it could possibly be cold and I would have to wear my winter coat for the first time in the year, every grocery store and super center is crazy. When you go trying to get a loaf of bread or a half gallon of milk, you are met by the barren aisles where people are apparently going to eat milk sandwiches to survive the storm. We are accustomed to local reporters setting up shop at the Walmart or food, uh, food Lion in the bottled water aisle, showing how they are all out. There's probably enough bread, milk, and water for everyone, but there isn't enough for everyone to stockpile. So if you snooze, you lose. No milk sandwiches for you. <laughs> Deuteronomy 15 depicts this picture of scarcity as well. Now, if there are some poor persons among you, say one of your fellow Israelites in one of your cities in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward your poor fellow Israelites. To the contrary, open your hand wide to them. You must generously lend them whatever they need, but watch yourself. Make sure no wicked thought crosses your mind, such as the seventh year is coming, the year of debt cancellation, so that you resent your poor fellow Israelites and don't give them anything. If you do that, they will cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. Do you hear the, the assumption at work in the community? It is that the community will take care of the poor in their midst. 
even though the poor will exist. And Jesus quotes this later on when he says, the poor you will always have among you. The people are told to give with open hands. They are not to think about when the next jubilee year is, which an Israelite community meant that every seven years they would forgive the debts of those who owed. The assumption is that they would share. Friends, our view of property and economics in Western society is predicated on the belief that this is all private. William Cavanaugh questions this assumption. He says the idea of scarcity implies that goods are not held in common, that the consumption of goods is essentially a private experience. This does not mean that charitable giving is forgiven, but it is relegated to the private realm of preference, not justice. One can always send a check to help feed the hungry, but one's charitable preferences will always be in competition with one's own endless desires. The idea of scarcity establishes the view that no one has enough. So when we feel like resources are scarce, we naturally hoard and hoard and hoard. We become like the Israelites in the desert who tried to take extra manna beyond what they needed for the day, and it rots and grows maggots. Kavanaugh writes that in a view of scarcity, no one has enough. What a scary way to live. And yet it's pretty much the society we live in every day. There is never enough money, time, love to go around. So we search and search, and we're like Mr. Rockefeller, just a little bit more. But God's economy, God's economy is different. In God's economy, the realm of scarcity is replaced by the realm of abundance. There is always enough in God's economy. When writing about abundance, Sam Wells writes in God's Companions, abundance is the grain of the universe, and starvation is a symptom of things being badly against the grain. The truth is that the world is not short of food, and the solution to starvation is not making more food, overcoming scarcity. The solution is sharing the food that the world already has and reconciling the divisions that lead to ruinous conflict. Abundance, he says, is the grain of the universe. It's the way that God made things. When we live in scarcity, then, we are going against that grain. And I think we feel it. When we hoard over and against others, we are not living in contentment. We feel this constant pressure, we never have enough, and we are caught up in the cycles that consume us. So how do we get out of this prison of scarcity? Sharing and generosity are the keys to freedom. As Sam Wells writes, the world has enough food. We are just stuck in a geopolitical nightmare where in the most advanced time in our planet, people still die of hunger-related causes at an alarming rate. But in the world, there is enough. The way that we personally get out from the tyranny of feeling like we never have enough is by taking on a different view of our property and possessions. We do it when we are able to say, this is not mine, it is God's. John Wesley began his covenant prayer 
in much the same way when he said, Lord, I am not mine, but thine. When we realize that nothing that we have or nothing that we do is anything but gift, it changes our relationship to stuff. We could be part of breaking the cycles of scarcity in at least our own lives and families. The great hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be, proclaims, Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. In his baccalaureate sermon in 2006 to Duke undergrads, Sam Wells preached this. He said, are you going to live in the small economy, the economy that is fine as far as it goes, but turns out not to go very far, the economy that only includes certain people, only buys certain things, only lasts a limited length of time, the economy of anxiety and scarcity? Or are you going to live in the great economy, the economy where the only use of wealth is to make friends and set people free. The economy in which you are never homeless and you cannot be destitute because you have spent your time and money making friends who will always welcome you into their homes. The economy of abundance, where generosity is the best investment. Which is it to be? If you live in the small economy, you will spend your life fearing for your job, your livelihood, your reputation, your health, your family, your life itself. If you live in the great economy, you won't fear anything. You'll have the things that money can't buy, and you'll know the things that hardship and even death can't take away from you. You'll have learned to love the things God, God gives us in plenty. You'll be living truly abundant life. Friends, with scarcity, the small economy comes fear. Scarcity breeds fear. And that type of fear keeps you from truly living. With a view of the world that focuses on God's abundance, however, on God's enoughness, Wells is right. You'll have learned to love the things that God gives us in plenty. So who will we be? People who succumb to scarcity? Or people who can imagine all that God could do in our lives and world if we just open our hands to receive from God and never close them as we give back to God. Carolyn Schultz is a personal hero of mine. She leads a ministry called Open Table Ministry in Durham. Open Table started during my time at Duke Divinity School, and I got involved with it by participating in weekly meals they had on the side of 15501 with folks who were homeless. Carolyn sees people who are looked over and marginalized every single day. These are the people who live in the woods, often unable to meet the requirements of staying in shelters. And Carolyn, Carolyn exemplifies the belief that every single one of them is God's child. She says, I can't solve poverty in the world, in the United States, even in Durham, but I might be able to make it a little more tolerable for one person. Carolyn practices within God's economy of abundance. She's able to see giftedness in people that the world overlooks. She's able to see hope and a greater future for people who have come across very difficult times. And Carolyn is a gift. As she shares the view of abundance with people, they are able to see it and see hope for the first time in a long time. May we become the people who live out of God's abundance and so help others to see it for themselves. Amen.